Welcome to Exploring Possibilities. I'm your host, Cheryl Sitz, and I've created this show to demystify holistic wellness one conversation at a time. You'll get to know the person behind the practice, what inspired them to express their gifts and talents the way they do, and then we'll dive into their practice for a deeper understanding. There are so many ways that we can heal ourselves and our planet. Why not play in possibility? See what resonates for you. You'll find over three years of archived shows at journeyofpossibilities.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and you'll never miss a show. If you do subscribe, I'd like to ask you to rate us so that others will find our show as well. Thank you so much for that. We'll introduce today's guest right after these messages from our sponsors. If you are like me, you know when a migraine is coming on. You already know you will spend hours or even days isolated in a dark room, missing out on life, missing time from work, missing time with your family and friends. Then it dawned on me, we are individuals, and the cause of migraines is unique to each of us. So why would you want to take the same medication everyone else takes? Why would you band-aid the pain and symptoms knowing the migraine will return? Isn't it time to discover the root cause of your migraine? Turns out there's a non-pharmaceutical, non-invasive migraine elimination plan. Simple tests help you understand your methylation pathway, your gene expression, your nutrigenomics, your bioenergetic field, and determine if there is a misalignment of your sphenoid bone centered in your skull. Energetic wellness consultants will help you solve your migraine mystery and put an end to migraines. Take your life back. Call today, 281-419-3355, www.energeneticwellness.com. Feel well at energeneticwellness.com. As I've met and worked with all these holistic practitioners, my life has literally transformed. So much so that I studied to learn how to be a holistic practitioner and transformational life coach so that I can pass along some of this transformation to you because life is short. We deserve to live it. Life is a journey of possibilities. Are you ready? What do you say? One session? Why not? Reach out to me at CherylSitz.com and let's play in possibility. Our new digital magazine is packed with inspirational stories and valuable tips to live a more holistic, spiritual life. Check out the premiere issue at journeyofpossibilities.com. If you like what you see, subscribe for free and get a new issue every three months delivered straight to your inbox. That's right, it's free at journeyofpossibilities.com. Practitioners, contact us for affordable advertising too. That's journeyofpossibilities.com. Hi, this is Mario with Tech Life Balance, and I've been in the IT field for about 20 years. I have a big range of experience. I've worked with PCs, I've worked with servers, I've done online marketing strategies, I do websites, I even build online communities and help produce the podcast that you're listening to right now. I've actually been involved in IT so much that I got lost in all the technology and technology was taking over me. And I'm not saying to unplug or anything like that. What I'm saying is find a balance. I know I did. It took a traumatic event for me to learn that capability and it it was a challenge. And there are obstacles and there's things you run into that sometimes you don't realize you're even doing. So I designed a program to help you do that by looking at all your technologies and just helping you embrace it in a way that it's smoothed into your life. And I like to say that we log in, log out and break free so we can have a life. Contact us at techlifebalance.net and let us know what we can help you with. Enjoy the podcast. Our audience spans from the Texas Gulf Coast across America and around the world. So don't you have some products and services you'd like to tell them about? Contact us, find out about our summertime specials and be a sponsor of our show. You can do all that at journeyofpossibilities.com. Now for today's guest. Diane Goldie is an artist, a feminist, a former puppeteer. She creates wearable art. You can probably see that from the picture of her that I've got on the podcast here. And what I love most about her is best embodied in a video she did recently for the Style Like You project, which is all about our true style being self-acceptance. And in her video, in this video series, women are disrobing as they tell their story about self-acceptance, body acceptance, authenticity. And 
the story that came out of Diane's mouth moved me to the core. So I am very honored that she's with us today. And of all days, we're recording this on the day that Brexit was announced. So I kind of have to start there, Diane, as we talk across the pond via technology. What on earth is it feeling like in London today? I tell you what, London. Oh, hello, everybody. <laughs> London is it's it's like a day of mourning for London because the majority of London has voted in. We all woke up to absolute shock and oh, horror and a feeling of sickness. We just sort of deeply feel sickened to the core. It's a horrible thing that's happened. I I I feel like it's a political game. I don't even think it's real. Um, I think this referendum was called as a political device by a, by the Tory government. Mm-hmm. I don't think the public were given enough time to even think about it or enough information to think about the different options. And it's very much shown in um, post-Brexit um, now that the majority of the Google hits coming out of the UK early hours of this morning was, what is the EU? which kind of really, it, it kind of sums it all up. People were voting because they were whipped up in a kind of a xenophobic, racist fear. Mm-hmm. Um, with the rise of the far right, you know, you've got your own Mr. Trump over there, who's doing that bit for you over there. Um, we've got Nigel Farage over here, who, you know, he claims not to be racist, but, you know, he he definitely is. Mm-hmm. And I have a rainbow family. So being white myself, I have a black partner. I have a, a mixed race granddaughter. Um, I have loads of gay friends. I have loads of former friends, artist friends, and loads of European friends who are absolutely fearful about what this means now, that they might have to be sent back. Um, a lot of my friends are saying to each other, let's just get married. And, and some of my beautiful uh, and lesbian friends are sort of offering to marry each other, even across different partnerships, just to sort of keep people from being kicked out. Wow. It's not actually going to happen for another two years, apparently, while they sort of tussle it and find out all the fine details. But you can kind of sense just by that happening that the, the, the desperation and the, and the fear and the the trouble that people are going through right now and across all my social media today it's just been awful um so i mean what's what's happened is there's also been people voting out for the brexit that have been on the far left as well because you know it's sort of anti-neoliberalism liberalism vote i understand that i understood that the eu wasn't perfect um, but what I couldn't bear was to actually vote and side with the likes of Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage and all that or other very right wing people that were supporting it. So I'd rather vote in um, and align myself with with people that are not bigots than to vote out and then be lumped with bigots. So it's it's been really divisive. It's been really confusing. And there's been a lot of um, slanging matches going on, a lot of hatred being poured out on social media today which is just just awful. <laughs> I'm just still in shock. I haven't eaten properly today. My guts have been awful <laughs> to be mm-hmm. oversharing with you. But that's how it's bodily affected me. I just feel like th- there's been a death. Yeah. There's well, and as you said, we're going through a lot of political weird stuff over here, too. It seems like the political front in, in some of these places, like where you live and where I live, is mm. is really doing this polarity thing to bring yeah. out all this toxic, noxious, emotional stuff that everybody's got to vent and clear. And, and I wonder where we're going to land on the other side of all of this. Um, but I feel for you. And I wanted to mm. give you an opportunity to say what you'd like to say publicly about what's happening right now and to the people that do listen to this podcast because I know you'll share it with with your tribe as well what do you want to say to them in this in this time well basically it's all about love we've just got to keep loving and that's all we can do we can't fight hate with hate we just can't we have to keep on loving and we have to keep showing people the way I mean ever since my dear friend Sue um, showed me the 1930s movie Freaks with the message of we accept her, one of us, one of us. It's been my rallying cry that it's all about diversity, all about diversity, because something crossed my mind the other day. It was just a, a sort of existential question, really. And I just thought to myself, imagine if we were all the same. Imagine a world where we're all the same. Mm-hmm. And I actually couldn't imagine that world because it's impossible to imagine a world all the same. We wouldn't be human if we were all the same. Right. We would be clones. We would be machines. We yeah. wouldn't be human. 
So it's an impossibility to be all the same. So we have to, by a very nature of being human, embrace diversity because it's our differences that actually make us human. And interesting and intriguing and enticing. Exactly. And, and, and beautiful. Yes. And it's yet, our imperfections that do it. Right. And yet learning how to accept that in others when it's, when mm. it's something that we're passionately different about yeah. is, is really the lesson that we seem to all be getting right now. And I think it's a very simple lesson on social media right now. There's an awful lot of people deleting friends left, right and center because mm -hmm. they didn't vote the way that they wanted them to vote. And I say to them, don't delete those people. Those are the people you need to keep yes. because, you know, if you're just preaching to the converted... <laughs> What's the point? Exactly. What is the point? You need to keep the debate going. That's what it's about. I agree. And that's where the love is most needed. And that's is... where the love is most needed. Yes. And it might sound pompous of me to think that I've got all the answers and, you know, they're, they're just the wrong ones. And <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> that people could accuse me of that as well. But I think we just need to keep on thrashing it out. We need to keep on debating it and just keep on the side of love the whole time and just to keep challenging the side of hate keep on challenging it. I remember I made one of my biggest, um, biggest friends um, by challenging her because I think there was a post up about Kim Kardashian, who, you know, we know about Kim Kardashian. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, um, and it was comparing, uh, it was uh, one of those Mimi things on Facebook. And it was comparing, there was a split picture of Kim Kardashian and a picture of Malala, the, the, the girl that got shot in the head. Yes for um wanting to take up religion and the post was very divisive i thought it said something like who is the most beautiful and you know everybody was going of course malala's the most beautiful because this that and the other and and of course you know you could argue that but i came in flying and i said well this is a really divisive post what happened to sisterhood do you not do you not actually understand that kim kardashian is is the is part of the pro well, part of the system that is affected by this toxic um way of judging women you know um why are we judging women why are we putting women up against each other why, why is beauty so important <laughs> to be fair why is beauty the only standard for a woman um and i, I kind of had a, a bit of a set to with, with one of the women that was arguing with me and eventually she kind of said you know what i get what you're saying that you know kim kardashian is as ugly as she is as she can be on the inside she's just as much as a victim of the system that we all are and yes. we don't know her her struggle we don't know so to set her up against another woman who has not asked to be set up against is really not fair. And it's really not right. And, well, you know, I I, completely one of my agree. hashtags that I, I keep banging on about is part of one of the kimonos that I've made um, actually came from watching a video of, um, oh, it's one of my favorite videos, Eartha Kitt. Um, it's, her, it's her video when she's talking about um, compromising relationships. And uh, I just saw that this woman was just so incredibly strong and had such an amazing sense of self and self-belief and self-worth that she was almost uh, impenetrable to sort of patriarchal constructions. And um, through that, I had just had these two hashtags that came to me and it was one of them was a, wo a woman, a woman who loves herself as a dangerous woman. And the other one was sisterhood is subversive. And I really do believe in that latter one that sisterhood is subversive if we all as women sloughed off these patriarchal this patriarchal conditioning that we're supposed to bitch that we're supposed to compete with men you know with other women for men's attention that we can only find ourselves through male gaze all of this stuff if we got rid of all of that and actually started to see ourselves and our true worth and we actually bonded together as women well we form more than 50 percent of the population mm -hmm. if we all got together we would change the world. And that's how subversive it is. We would change all of these systems that we're battling with right now. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's actually in all of our power as women, if we just pulled away from bitching and pulled away from being horrible to each other and started to forgive and started to understand that every woman is coming from her own pain and from her own agenda and is only seeing the world through her, her eyes. And if we engaged in a kind of emp empathic kind of discussion with her, trying to understand her position... Basically, I, I believe it's all about storytelling and truth-telling. If you tell your truth, it allows the other person to tell their truths. And that's kind of coming back to the Star Like You video. People kind of said that that thing was like really, really inspirational. Being yes. called inspirational is a very difficult thing, especially for that particular video, because all I was was a regular woman, because that's all I am, a regular woman. 
taking off her clothes to show a regular body and just talking about her truth. Now, for me, that being inspirational is a very difficult thing because this is how it should be for every woman to be comfortable to do that. And it's very sad for me to feel that that's an inspirational thing. And it's, it's, it's a real testament to where we are as women. I can see what you're saying women, that it's sad, but it's also powerfully beautiful because yes, that's where we've been stuck. But yep. you doing this and getting the tremendous outpouring of mail that you, I know that you talked in your blog about the amazing response that you got. And, mm. and to, to help listeners who have not seen the video yet, first you must Google Diane Goldie and uh, Style Like style You like and you. you will find the video. You share a story of wondering if your body was good enough and then mm -hmm. menopause kind of freeing that, which I can relate yeah. to completely and mm -hmm. all of the stereotypes. And you work a lot with this in your wearable art with, about fashion and the, what the fashion industry does to make us, you know, Absolutely. have these ideas about beauty. But then you also share a very powerful story about sexuality and about a warped sense of sexuality growing up yeah. and, and yeah. healing some of that through a healthy relationship. Every piece of that, every woman can relate to, but we yeah. don't hear other women talking about that very much yet. So Isn't I think you're opening that gate wide open for women to go, oh, if she can tell her story, I want to tell my, I know you did that yeah. for me. You've, I've got well, more passion than ever to tell my story. So thank you for that. Oh, that's a pleasure. I mean, I, I do believe quite strongly that porn culture has got a lot to answer for because we talk about sex very often. It's, it's, it's almost seen as this, you know, every woman has got, you know, should be empowered to talk about sex. But I, I don't think so. I, I don't think it should be about sex. I think sex, I know I could, could easily get accused of being a prude, but I think sex is something that is a shared intimacy thing. And I think what we're not talking about is intimacy. Yes. We're not talking about connection. And, and instead, we're being given the, you know, it gets me. Okay, I do go on little rants every now and then. So apologize for my go for cutting it. off. Um, what gets me is we have all these women's magazines that, you know, how to give your boyfriend the best blowjob, step-by-step -step tips, you know, these kind of things. And, and we're selling this to young women as if it's a step-by-step -step guide on how to do the greatest sex. No. Well, you know what? That is such a load of nonsense because anybody who's ever had any experience of any kind of intimate relationship with with more than one human being knows that sex is very very individual yeah. so to try and give tips on giving the best blowjob is ridiculous because each person is different right. so if we can give these tips quite freely in the magazine why aren't we talking about relationships why aren't we talking about how to connect with an, an individual on a deep level and to actually be vulnerable and to share and to actually respect people for their humanities rather than what you can get out of them? And I think that comes down to, again, feminist stuff. It's objectification of women so that women are happy to just be pleasers and givers right. um, and not comfortable receiving because we're not groomed through society to be comfortable receiving we're groomed to give and and this is why i think in these magazines that teach you how to give the best blowjob i mean why aren't they why aren't the magazines saying you know how 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 to get your man to give you the best cunnilingus you've ever had i mean why does this not exist and we have to ask ourselves these questions it's actually quite obvious it's staring us in the face that us women are only allowed to give we're not allowed to receive and we're not allowed to ask for it either mm -hmm. you know and um down to again the, the sort of grooming of and the conditioning of a woman as submissive and femininity and all of that stuff i mean i, I kind of rant and rave about the constructs of masculinity and femininity and i actually don't believe that they belong to man and woman no. i think it's a it's a separate construct and i think it is um entirely cultural culturally specific um so therefore it cannot apply to all men and all women and it's uh I, you know, I have feminine men friends and masculine women friends and, and long may they live. I think they're wonderful. And I, uh, I actually had the little argument with somebody the other day because, um, the femininity thing was brought up. We were talking about whether we perceived ourselves as women as, as feminine. And if so, was that a powerful thing? And I said, I don't perceive myself as feminine at all. And, um, in fact, I've, I perceive myself as quite masculine. And the women that I was sitting with looked really shocked and they looked at me and said, but, you wear flowers in your hair and you wear dresses. <laughs> and I said, that's got nothing to do with femininity. Right. That's to do with what I choose to wear. Wearing a dress does not make you a woman. Right. I, I said, um, 
what I perceive to be what are, for me what the constructs of masculinity and femininity are are absolutely constructs and they're not real but what we know as being a construct of of masculine is assertive and it is is um could be aggressive and it could be loud and dominant and all of these things and well I'm a loud mouth and I say my oh <laughs> you know I say my truth I used to be very shy and retiring so I suppose I used could have been perceived as feminine back then but not now but not now um I'm pretty um yeah actually I was accused the other day of being too strong and too passionate and a man hater which I thought was really quite funny I mean we're in 2016 feminists are still still called men man haters which you know really get with the program come on we're not hating men we're hating patriarchy there's a big big difference yes there is patriarchy doesn't allow men to have nurturing and sensitive feelings just as lo- as much as it doesn't allow women to have rage and passion and drive so so how is being a feminist being a man hater i don't get it I just don't get it. It makes me really cross. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting a lot of rage today. I'm sorry. It's one of those days I'm in a bit of a ranty mood. Well, that is okay. You have every reason to be in a ranty mood. And actually, that is the passion that I wanted to share with our audience because I do believe that we're living in an age and um, in my relationship with Mario and in my own personal journey, I'm experiencing a complete transformation of what I believe masculine and feminine is in within yeah. myself, within my relationship. And I think that's what's going on globally right now. And we're seeing it yeah. in the political systems. We're, we're seeing a breakdown of the old and a, a rising of a new way. And so it is exactly the time to be ranting, as you call it about the things yeah. that you're passionately <laughs> feeling and wanting i mean I, I think we should be waging a war on apathy i think apathy is the biggest yes enemy that we have right now and i think i, I can't blame people for for being empathetic because you know we, we get ground down you know people are really struggling to live you know stupidly high rents and and no money coming in and you know the most vulnerable especially over here in the uk are being punished um i have many many disabled friends who are properly disabled wonderful people who have had every single financial help that the government is supposed to give to them taken away and so they're relying on literally the kindness of friends to keep them alive and also, not only that, they've had their dignity taken away from them as well, because they have to be put through these these tests of whether they can walk a certain few feet or lift their hand up and stuff like that. Um, and if they can do those things, then clearly they should be looking for work. It, the whole system is so twisted right now that I can yeah. understand why people just want to put their head down and disappear. Uh, and, and that's where apathy comes from. It's, it's sort of like an overwhelming feeling of, well, I can't do anything. I've tried and I've given up. You know, right. But I, th- I, I think that's why, you know, what happens these days is that you can be walking past somebody being assaulted in the streets and you'll just put your head down and shuffle past because you're so afraid of it being turned on to you. And you think, well, what can I do? You know, and, and it's disgusting. It's mm-hmm. disgusting that this is going on. Maybe also, that's why we're having the political stuff that we're having. Maybe it's to wake us back up so that we get our fire yeah, back, you know, because I agree maybe with you. Like apathy is done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could be. And I think also, you know, I think what um, feeds the apathy is um, an increase in information over social media, and not just social media, but the internet in general. Um, People are getting a lot of pain coming through these little windows of technology. They're getting lots of sort of horrible scenes of, of, of trauma and desperation and, and, and horror of people getting their heads chopped off and animals being tortured and, you know, one thing after another after another. And because of our sort of psychology as human beings, we can't help but look. And then we get traumatized and then we don't know what to, what to do with that trauma. So then we get filled up with that trauma. And if you've got any kind of, you know, trauma from your own personal history, there's only so much you can take. Mm-hmm. And then you then you shut off. And I think this is where the apathy is coming from. I think we're overwhelmed by by trauma that we can't do anything about because it's coming from all corners of the world. And and it's you can't shut it off because it keeps coming at you, whether you switch the television on or whether you put the internet on or whatever. And if you think back to when our grandparents were, you know, and our great-grandparents were around, all they dealt with was, was local issues, literally with, with the man, you know, the man and the woman, you know, having a fight on the street corner. Right. They didn't get all this overwhelming of pain that was coming at them left, right and centre. Mm-hmm. So therefore, they would deal with that man and woman fighting on the street because they could. They had that extra reserve. They weren't dealing with all the trauma. 
I really believe strongly in that. And I think we should start to look at that. I agree with you. It's also interesting, though, in another face of it, that I think we're also learning of other possibilities because of all this technology. I think mm-hmm. our, 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 our imagination to what was possible was also smaller. And as we look and see what people are doing in other parts of the world or, or other parts of the country that's working for them, we can realize, oh, I'm not just stuck with this same way that is the only way that I've known. There's all mm-hmm. these other ways. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's a positive side to it. But I, what I tell people is, please balance your social media. Media. You Be have selective. control yeah, over absolutely. what you're feeding your head and in your heart and you need to feed what we pay attention to expands and grows mm. and we get more mm. of it. So we have to put the good stuff in there too. And mm. And that's where I think major media has kind of, you know, failed us is, is they go with what sells and obviously what drives the agenda. And we don't, we don't get that same opportunity to balance it that we have in our computer and our laptop and our phone. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what was wonderful that came out the Star Like You um, videos, I ended up talking to a woman in in the middle of Muslim Africa uh, (laughs) about feminism. And she said to me, even though she had to wear, she had to be completely covered up every day, um, she was a radical feminist stuck in the middle of all of this. Wow. And and having to be sort of like a, a silent assassin, really, you know, and sort of not let anybody know what was going on in her head. And she didn't know quite how to go forward but at least she had someone to talk to (laughs) through the through the internet you know who actually said to her yes you know you're right you're right to be feeling like this beautiful we do have these little heroes hiding here and there that we don't hear about on the media but then we find Mm. them in our lives and they're so inspiring well Mm. tell me more about so i know you do the wearable art what Mm -hmm. what drives that just um creative expression of the self yeah, I mean, I've always been creative ever since a ever since a little girl. Um, I had a very toxic mother, which I sort of briefly touched on in the video. Who, um, from a very young age, told me I'd never be an artist. I could only copy, and so that voice lived with me for many, many, many years. In fact, until about five years ago. <laughs> wow, good for you. Yeah, and then I met this wonderful lady called Sue Kreitzman, who I call my art mother. She's my surrogate mum. She's a New Yorker who lives over here. And she is an absolute goddess. Um, she, I met her. Um, she invited me to do a puppet show for her, for her one of her birthday, extraordinary birthday parties that she has. And um, I did it. And I did a feminist poem as well, along with all the other silly stuff I did. <laughs> and at the end of it, she presented me with this um, secondhand sort of trench coat and said, do something with it. She'd seen I did little bits of painting and stuff on the, on the internet, on Facebook. And I went out and I, I turned it into, well, I just painted all over it. I painted a big um, Medusa on the back, Caravaggio's Medusa. I'm absolutely obsessed with Medusa and the Medusa <laughs> energy. Uh, <laughs> I just think she's wonderful. Um, and and pictures of uh, Frida Kahlo and Josephine Baker and the sort of the, the female energy, the strong female energy is where I get my inspiration from and so does Sue. And after meeting Sue, who literally lives art she surrounds herself with art she makes art she is walking art and I met her and I at the time I was sort of in hiding from myself and I was in jeans and a t-shirt and then I saw Sue resplendent in her color and her jewelry and just dripping with sparkly and red and oh she was just extraordinary and she changed my life she literally changed my life I <laughs> As I think sometimes that's all you need, you know, and she believed in me as well. And I think she, because she was an, she was the age of my mum, uh, and I think she overrode that little girl, that voice that was in my head that said you'd never be an artist, and she started to champion me, and she lifted me up. Um, and then I started to make wearable art because I realised I could take Sue's paintings and sculptures and reproduce them onto fabric and then stitch them onto the back of her own kimonos to make her her own walking gallery. So then I realised I could do this for people. I could take what was their their passions and their joys and whatever motivated them and their internal life and put it on their clothes and allow them to walk in their own style. And it became a, a really big thing it became a, a a political thing for me um and then it became okay i might is that okay if i swear uh, yes okay it became what i call fuck fashion um <laughs> i do use the f word quite a lot <laughs> um, uh, i never used to again it was part of my sort of transformation i just thought well you know fuck it literally um 
I, I, I rejected the fashion industry because I connected it all with this whole feeling, how they make us feel insecure, whether it's your size, whether it's your age, yes. whether it's um, trends, just, you know, this ever-changing trends. Now, there's six seasons a year now. Can you see what they're doing to us? <laughs> six. There used to be three. Sensible. Sensible. We can kind of keep up with three. But now there's pre pre-spring, pre-autumn, pre-summer. You know, everything's pre as well as. So you know, it's, it's, it's speeding up at a rate of not. And um, so the consequences of the speeding up is that we have to change our clothes or we're supposed to change our clothes to keep up with fashion. Otherwise, you know, we'll be out of fashion and we won't have any status. So I reject all of that and I go, no, 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 no. Let's not be fashionable. Let's be stylish. Let's look within and see what suits us. And, you know, if you are actually wearing something that makes you feel good, you look good. It's not about what it actually looks like. It's how it, you feel. If you feel good when you're wearing a bin bag, you will look good. That's just how it works. I it's agree. actually quite sort of transformational and extraordinary to actually realize that. And it doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what shape you are. If you feel good inside, you will radiate this glow and people respond to it. And the funny thing is, it's been happening to me quite a lot recently. I've been going out wearing what I wear, my clothes that I make for myself. And I've had... Okay, granted, they were very drunk, but <laughs> very drunken men coming up to me and and putting their hands together in a sort of a prayer position and sort of bowing in front of me and and sort of just looking at me and, and sort of muttering at me and then sort of putting their hands around me like they were feeling some kind of aura and then bowing again to me and, and walking off. And it's happened about four times in the last three weeks, different people doing it. And how does that feel? So I don't feel? know what's going on. When they do that, how does that feel? Um, <laughs> I have a very silly sense of humour. <laughs> I can't really take it that seriously, but it does touch me quite deeply. Cause, yeah. Um, but I sort of want to sort of play it down because it almost seems so serious that I want to start laughing and giggling. And sometimes <laughs> I do giggle because <laughs> they're often horrendously drunk. But for that moment, they kind of are not acting terrible you know they're actually sort of standing in their space and not sort of wobbling and, and sort of not being leery or horrible they're just being quite spiritual which is odd well and the cool odd. thing about that is you know when we drink all of that brain stuff kind of fizzles out as we get drunker and drunker and the real the, a lot of real truth comes through mm. a drunk person will generally tell you the truth and what yeah. I'm feeling as you're telling me this is that they're seeing a woman standing squarely in her truth and mm. in the beauty of loving who she is whatever that means to you doesn't really matter and that is beauty I mean you yeah. nailed it that is beauty yeah I think so well I hope so <laughs> Unless I'm sort of attracting lots of nutters, maybe. <laughs> well, at least they're safe. At least they're yeah. safe nutters. We'll go ahead with Yeah, they're nice. They seem to be very benign and sweet. So, you know, it's okay. Awesome. Um, but what's what's kind of happened um, recently because of this fast fashion thing of these big turnovers that, that um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the sort of latest catwalks or the latest sort of fashion things that have been going on this latest season has a very decided um, ring of my aesthetic to it, especially Gucci. And, um, yeah, a lot of people have pointed it out to me, and I can't deny it. It <laughs> looks very much like what I've been doing for the last three years. Because this happens. This happens in the in industry. The top designers have no time to come up with anything creative themselves. Right. So they put people on the internet to scour for new ideas. And, you know, as much as people might like to say I'm being deluded or I'm being grandiose thinking that top designers will steal my aesthetic um it happens and i've been actually informed by people inside the industry that i'm absolutely spot on you know and but they can't be named because they're in the industry <laughs> and people in the in in who study fashion know that this is what happens because they get taught that taught to do it in college um <laughs> so yeah that's been a thing but what what's happened is instead of getting upset well i did get upset i got upset and angry for a bit for about five minutes and then I thought no and then I got angry and anger for me is a really good energy I find it um especially being menopausal it's that Medusa thing rage is a great motivator <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you could relate just for that laugh yeah <laughs> oh yeah I decided I'm not even going to get even I'm going I'm going to do one better and I thought to myself well what do these design what 
what can I do? What do I have that these designers don't have? And thought, well, I'm an artist. They're just designers. I'm an artist. I make wearable art. I don't do fashion. They do fashion, so they can steal as much as they want. I do art. So what I've decided to do is I'm going to put on a big, big um, exhibition in September in the middle of Fashion Week. And it's going to be uh, an exhibition of large portraits of my friends, my beautiful tribe of friends who are all very diverse and all very wonderful, wearing my aesthetic, wearing my wearable art, and then them cementing it on canvas in paint as art. So that way I'm reclaiming my aesthetic and stamping you know, my ownership all over it and then transforming it into something bigger. And it's also given me an absolute kick up the bottom to actually get painting again, which has been a long time in the making, but it's been the biggest thing. I've been afraid of it the most because it's my deepest vulnerability because of my mum saying I'll never be an artist. So I sort of played around the peripherals a little bit. So the wearable art, as much as it's art, it is still a peripheral for me, but it is something I really love doing. I won't stop doing it. But ultimately, being a painter, a fine artist is kind of where my heart is. So it's got me to that place. And now I'm going to be doing lots of, I've done about six or seven now already. And I'm going to be putting on an event, staging an event, which is going to be lots of my performer friends and musicians. And it's all going to be on the theme of fuck fashion. And we're going to shout and scream and make sure we get heard and make sure that at least on the me and, you know, social media will hear about it. And maybe it'll trickle back to them that we've heard and we know what they're doing. I think that's wonderful. Congratulations. And it feels like, you know, when you were telling me the story about meeting your friend who had such an influence on you finally embracing your inner artist and and Mm. all of this transformation. It's true when you meet someone who's the age that of your mom or that your mom would be and Mm. it's the opposite message of whatever had us shut down. I've done that with my voice and just having someone with that broader sense of love and acceptance and encouragement and the things that God love my mom, she just couldn't give it. She was in her own pain and hadn't dealt with that. So sounds like she was exactly the same situation (laughs) as my own mom. Yeah. And when you meet somebody that is working through that and has that to give, it is Mm. so healing. Healing. It is, isn't it? Yes, it is. It it's is. like they get sent to you to, yes. to um, fix it. Exactly. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I know I found a lot of peace. My mum's dead now. Um, I found a lot of peace and laid it to rest when I realised that she couldn't love. Yes. So therefore, it wasn't my fault that I didn't feel loved. Yes. It was, didn't mean that I was unlovable. It meant that she couldn't love. Exactly. And that was a position of sadness for me, for her. Right. Because how sad is that not to be able to love? Yes, that's exactly you know, not to be what able I to feel. give love is not giving love is such a beautiful thing. So not to be able to do that and to see other people doing that and to witness that. Now I understand her jealousy and her envy. Yes. Because wow, how isolating must that feel? Yes, exactly. Mm. You take the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly how I felt. My mom loved me with what she had to give, which was really empty because she didn't love herself because she was Mm. just trapped in her own pain. So yeah, you don't have it to give. And And yeah, it was, it, it started my healing journey as well. So I'm glad for yeah. you. I would love to ask you, uh, congratulations on the event, on everything that you've got planned. I'm so excited to hear all of this. It really sounds like you, you embody what I talk about of living your passion and, and your authenticity just blazing forth. You, you embody that. So thank you for that. I'd love to okay. hear how your experiences, I know you've had pain in your life mm-hmm. and you've shared mm-hmm. some of that. How does that pour into your art how does that influence the way you design and what you paint and the colors you use and how is that kind of part of your healing if it is it is um anger again you know to quote john lydon anger is an energy um i realized that the only way i can paint or draw or create or write poetry because i do poetry as well fully formed comes straight out my mouth it's extraordinary i don't know how it works but i have to be anger i have to be angry it might not be good for my blood pressure it might not be good for my body as a whole but it's really good for my creativity so that's i think how my pain has fueled me it Mm -hmm. is my fuel Mm -hmm. if i was just a very contented person if i was content i wouldn't be able to create and I think that's a lot of artists' problem. I think that's when they get sort of artist block. It's in, it's in periods of contentment mm. because there's nothing to fuel it. So, I, you know, I have had pain, yes, but it is what drives me. 
That's interesting, uh, the way that you share that. And, you know, and I think through history of some of the greatest artists and the pain that we now know that they were in, and that makes complete sense. It would mm. it would be the fire that would come through you. It's the fire in the belly. It really is. I mean, I now understand. I did a very short stint at art college um, before my mum pulled the rug underneath my feet. Um, and I used to have a, a life drawing tutor, and she she understood me almost immediately she used to get behind me she was a short wide beautiful woman and she used to stand behind me as I was drawing and literally jump up and down so that the floor shook and she would jump up and down and go 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 and now I know why she was doing it she was pushing up my adrenaline Hmm. she understood how I work she saw that when I got sort of um when I, I got tired and my drawing got flabby and I wasn't concentrating. But as soon as I got energized, it, it would crack and it would work. So, yeah, now I get it. Very, very intuitive lady. Clever woman she was. Neat. Sounds like she was in your life for a reason, too. Clearly. Maria. <laughs> well done, Maria. Yeah, she was wonderful. Well, I'd love to just touch on your relationship briefly because you do mention in the video that you uh, that, that changed your life, that, that you, you found yourself did. in a good relationship. So mm-hmm. for people listening who are stuck in pain from the past or whatever or looking for that healthier relationship or better relationship what what how did that happen what what would you tell them well um the particular course that it took was probably not to be recommended i met him online which you know i don't recommend that it's not best what it did was it gave me space to not literally jump into bed with him as soon as i met him Mm -hmm. we spoke for six months before we actually met so we, we had to take it slowly because he forced me to take it slowly. I was so used because of the damage and the abuse and all of that, just literally jumping into bed with people as soon as I met them. Yeah. Because I, that, that was how I validated myself. Right. And that was how I thought I got people to love me. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. please love me now because you've, you know, you know me now. So you've got to love me. And then, of course, that leads to a lot of pain. So because I was forced to just have a conversation with this man and I wasn't allowed to do my old tricks you know, of what I used to think was seduction. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. But then that's why I used to think it was. Um, it allowed me that space to get to know him and him to get to know me. And it was very slow. And I think it was almost old fashioned, you know, and you meant to date and all of that stuff. And we kind of did. And yeah, he he, he forced me to take it slowly because he wasn't going to be rushed into it. I mean, because he was a lot younger than me. He was 25 and I was 40. It shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't have worked, but it did. And that was the opposite of your paradigm usually, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was black, I was white. I mean, all, all of the things were wrong. All, it was all wrong. <laughs> and, and I fought against it for such a long time because I'd just come out of a relationship with a younger black man who had beaten me up. And I thought, well, what am I doing jumping back into that frying pan for? Mm-hmm. This is silly. But of course, you know, as human beings, we tend to lump every human being into every other category and literally tar them with the same brush, you know. Yes. And um, no, he, he just he just kept on going, just being his honest, true self. And I, I was honestly really lucky to have met a real live angel. And he he's known as Angel as well, which is extraordinary. I was filling my house with angels before I met him. <laughs> OK, I'll, I'll, I'll wind back a little bit before I met him. My I was in the depths of despair and my friend my good female friend realized this and she gave me a book and she said okay it's really Californian I know you're cynical so am I but she said just do it just do it just give it a go and it was a book of um positive affirmations and I can't remember what it was called it was um what you had to do is you had to use your name write down an affirmation and mine was I Diane Goldie wish to meet someone I deserve to meet someone who is kind kind was the word that's all I ask for I didn't even ask for a man I didn't care man human dog I didn't care (laughs) I just wanted somebody kind and what you have to do is you had to keep writing this down until the and you had to keep writing the negative responses underneath it that you play out in your head until the negative responses go away until they stop and it took me pages and pages and pages and I was in absolute floods of tears by the time I got to the end And um, then I started decorating my flat with angels and I was painting angels on the walls and putting plaster angels up everywhere. I painted the, um, uh, (laughs) I thought it was the Virgin Mary and angels on my kitchen ceiling, but I quickly realized I was painting Mary Magdalene in my ceiling, which is very, very pertinent. (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> um, considering my history. Um, and uh, and then when I met him and we spoke and I asked him his name and he said his name was Angel. <laughs> oh, wow. And I still, t- I mean, we've been together 12 years, going on 13 years now. And he still is as kind as he ever was. He's never raised his voice to me. He's not even looked bad on me. <laughs> it's extraordinary. I've never known such a beautiful, drama-free relationship as this. And it's profound, profound in its beauty. Well, and I'm, I have to ask you a question, kind of sharing my own. I always put myself out there, too, because I'm going to be as authentic as I want my guests to be. So yeah, I'm in a relationship with somebody who's the kindest person. I mean, I've had really good men in my life. I have. Mm. But this has to be the kindest, most patient man I've yeah. ever known in my life. Yeah. And with my history, I beat myself up 900 ways to Sunday about how I didn't deserve that in so many ways, in so much internal language for the longest yeah. time. And it still comes up for me. Did you experience that? And what did you do to work through that? I absolutely thought I didn't deserve deserve him. And I actually put him through absolute sheer hell when we first got together. When we actually first decided we wanted to be together, it took a long time for, for us both to sort of work out that work out that we were trying to avoid trying not to be together. <laughs> it was it was really silly. We both knew that we loved each other, but we were both trying to avoid it desperately because it, it just seemed weird. Um and I put him through all sorts of trials and tribulations because I was trying to t- do you know why? Because I didn't think it was real I didn't think it could possibly be real I thought I was going to uncover a fraud Mm. so I kept testing him I kept trying to find his bad side because I wanted to uncover the fraud I was desperate for him to drop his mask because I thought his kindness was his mask and that's because of my lack of what self-worth and what he kept doing is he just kept on being himself and I'm you know I I eventually stopped testing him because I realized I was just you know it was there was nothing to find. This was who he was. And then I had to look inward. And I've always called him, my my, my little pet name for him is my com- confrontational mirror. Because all he ever did was put up a mirror to me and ask me to look at how I was behaving and how how I looked to myself. And and that that's all I needed. I just needed that space yeah, to sort of look at my demons and look at my lack of worth. He believed in me. He absolutely believed in me, despite me being a complete mess. Despite me being, when he met me, a 40-year-old mum of two teenage, well, two two daughters, one, one was nine and one was 13. I mean, he, he didn't um, want to move in with me for years and years and years because of that. And he said, no, that's your space with your daughters. I'm not going to intrude on that. And I thought that that was really strange. <laughs> but of course, it's completely respectful and completely right. Yes, it is. And, um, and he said, you know what, any man who doesn't do that is, is wrong. And of course, he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. And he's proved his worth time after time after time. Well, you but know, he's all, the... he also inspires me to be the best me I can be. And yeah. he requires me to be the best me I can be. And he requires a woman to be strong. You know, he, he's, he's very much a person that will kind of, he's a very much a defender. So if he knows that I'm going through something, he will be, he'll be quick to my defense, but he will sort of hold back because he knows. He knows that I can do it by myself. And then he sort of sits proudly and watches me deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. had to deal with quite a lot recently. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Something else that comes up a lot when I talk about my relationship versus, you know, the old way versus the new way, again, is what yeah. I'll refer to it as. Is the old way is we find somebody that looks just right and then we put on our best face for each other for as long as that all lasts and sometimes through <laughs> marriage. And then the, the, the truth starts to show up, right? So, when you were talking yeah. about could a man really be like this? Maybe not only was he different, but it's, it's, there's been a lot of that, at least in my life. Were you your authentic, vulnerable, here I am warts and all person with him? Or was there a tendency to want to put your best foot forward or your worst face? Or how did that work for you? Uh, I did a lot of my worst faces, again, this is the testing thing. Yeah. But I was still carrying a lot of acting out behaviors from abuse in the past. So he had to keep questioning that. And, and we we had... All of our fights that we've ever had were in the first three years. Wow. Until he discovered who I was deep down underneath. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the fights that we had were completely through miscommunication because I was acting out and I didn't understand that I was acting out and I had to discover that I was acting out. Didn't realize I was putting myself into triggering situations and then not understanding that he was confused when he was watching me doing this. So... 
yeah, there was a lot of sort of self-discovery. So did I show my true face? I showed my true damaged face, definitely. And now I should definitely show my true face because it's a case of you don't like me, well, leave. <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as that. This is me. Um, we had a little wobble um, about two, two years ago. I stopped shaving my body hair because I got to the point where it wants to grow. Why am I doing this? I just got to a point where all the, all the constructions sort of fell away. And I just thought, well, it wants to grow there, so I'm just going to let it grow. And actually, I've got a history of breast cancer in my family. And if I'm constantly scraping away the hair underneath my arms and put it, applying chemical underneath there, that's only going to increase it, the, the, the chances of me getting cancer. Mm -hmm. So I just stopped. And uh, my partner's West Indian in origin, culturally, even the men shave. So that was a real problem, a real struggle for him. And he did. He basically looked at me one day and he said, babe, are you trying to make a point doing that? <laughs> this is how sweet he is. This is how he addresses it. He's just like really confused and sort of gentle about it. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, my point is it wants to grow there. That's it. It's my hair and it wants to grow. So I'm letting it. And, and that's kind of where it got left. And it's a case of, well, this is still me. It's still me. If this is an issue, well, I'm going to have to get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they call it radical self-love, don't they? Yes, they do. <laughs> um, well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, this this is the way I am. And um, yeah, I'm not going to change it. I think I'm done with changing to try and fit other people. Yeah. Um, it's a case of this is me. You take me as I am. Yeah. And if you don't like it. Well, it'd be sad if we had to part, but, you know, clearly I'm not for you. Right. And and that comes from a position of absolute self-love. Yes. Now I know who I am. Now I know what my worth is. I mean, I couldn't have ever imagined being like this in my 20s, 30s. Yeah. No way. I was all about making myself the most attractive I could possibly be because I only knew myself through male gaze. So it was only if I was being arousing for a man that I thought I was of any worth. And I, I see this repeated over and over and over. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Me too. And I, I know that lately there's been this Calvin Klein's plus size model thing going around social media, you know, clearly. And everybody's so shocked at it. But I'm just kind of going, shaking my head, going, <laughs> why, why are you so surprised? Using a picture of what appears to be just a very healthy, beautiful woman. Right. And calling her plus sized. And everybody's going, well, this isn't plus sized. And I'm saying, well, th this is not the point. Right. This is not the point. Why are we even entering into this? We should reject it all. Reject all these notions of what beauty is and having to be beautiful as women, of having to fit this, fit the patriarchal mold, basically, of what a woman is. You know, beauty isn't about what shape your body is. So stop defining yourself of whether you're thin, fat, whatever you are. You are what you are. And and I tell you what gets me about the sort of fat issue as well is that people seem people want to always use health as a sort of a, a stick to beat you with if you carry a bit of weight. Now I carry a bit of weight, probably a bit too much. My joints ache sometimes. And possibly my blood pressure is probably a little bit affected, but that could be trauma, that could be bereavement, it could be all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But people think it's absolutely fine to beat you with a health stick if you're fat. But what about people who are really, really thin? Why do people never beat them with a health stick? <laughs> because there's stuff called, you know, you can get osteoporosis, you can get heart attacks. You know, it's it's this is not the point. It's just an excuse to bag on people. And when yes. I say people, I actually mean women. Yeah. To be fair. Well, and a lot of times the people doing that are the ones that aren't really dealing with their own stuff either. It's so much easier yeah, for you to look out. at me and tell me what yeah. I need to do. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, then that tells me something about you too. So go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it annoys me. And this other thing, you know, I, I, as a feminist, I'm going to do my little bit of feminism now. Um, I'm, I'm not an equality feminist. I do believe equality feminism is a kind of a false flag. Uh, I, I don't believe it is what, what people think it is. Um, I'll tell you what equality feminism is. The fact that now we have men with six packs and going to the gym and really worried about their bodies. 
That's equality feminism. Because instead of uplifting women to the position of human rather than being position of object, we now bring pulling men down to the position of object <laughs> and saying, how do you like that? And that's because, you know, the system, the, the capitalist system likes to make money off of our insecurities. Exactly. So they don't want to bring women up to the position of human because, you know, if women overnight fell in love with themselves overnight, the whole fashion, beauty and diet industry would collapse. Absolutely. So they rely on us to hate ourselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely rely on us to hate ourselves. So now they're making men hate themselves because guess what? Hey, there's a whole new market there. <laughs> rest of the rest of the human species. This is an untapped market. So yep. let's why not objectify men? And it really annoys me actually when you know you're on a on a social media thread and you're talking about objectification of women and then men come along like in the absolute sort of shock horror and they go, Oh, but we get objectified too. Look. <laughs> and I kind of go, Yeah, how do you like that? This is what we've been living with since time began. Mm -hmm. You're just experiencing this now. How does it feel? <laughs> I have no sympathy for them. I'm sorry. <laughs> Try being treated like an object your entire life. Not just for the 20, you know, for 2012 or up to 2016. No, our entire lives from babyhood, from babyhood, we get treated as objects. When a baby girl's born, it's, oh, isn't she pretty? When a baby boy's born, it's, oh, what's he going to be? Right there. Oh, but I love it. I love, oh, you know, I, I love that well. your passion is reaching across the world through this podcast. And, you know, there's something in here for anybody and everybody to hear and go, wow, maybe think about just one little nugget of that because yeah. we're raising another generation right now. And what, what do we want to see? You know, what, what do we want to keep perpetuating this? What kind of change do we want? Because it starts now. So yeah. I, I really thank you for sharing your passion through your artwork <laughs> and through your interviews and through, through that amazing video that you did and just everything that you do. What's coming up for you? Where do you see yourself channeling all this? You told us about the events. Anything else kind of stirring in you that you're thinking about birthing? I'm just taking it one day at a time. I mean, the event is kind of, I'm, I'm undertaking possibly about 35 portraits between now and September. So that's taken up my entire wow. brain space. Um, so I'm not looking any further than that for <laughs> now. Otherwise, I might quietly cry in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I already think I'm a little bit crazy for undertaking this because I don't, I have no financial plan for this. Let's put it this way. Um, I've got a crowdfunder up to sort of try and raise a little bit of funds to put stage it. Um, apart from that, I don't know where it's taking me. I don't know how I'm going to make money. I just trust I'm going to. Um, the wearable art brings in a little bit of an income. It's not massive because I don't charge what Gucci charges, for instance. I like to keep things on a human level when it comes to how much you charge. Um, for me, it's how much am I happy with to to make this for you right. rather than, you know, I'm going to elevate it up into thousands of pounds because that is my status brand. I get really annoyed at the status brands who can just put their name on something and make a humble T-shirt that costs five pounds to make into something and sell it for 250. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. I don't understand why people buy into it. I don't get it. I'm hearing more and more people doing business centered in the heart, like you're describing, where it's what feels mm. good to me and it's about it actually happening and connecting with another person and co-creating something. And I do believe mm. that's also the business of the future and the money of the future. But we've got to. Oh, it, it's, it's funny you there. should say that, actually, because what the thing that hurt the most about this Gucci thing that happened is that they took that section of it as well. And now they're doing their own little, you can design your own jacket if you come into our stores. Ugh. And we'll get our people to bespoke design it for you on the spot. It's like, oh, go away. <laughs> go away. Yeah. <laughs> really? So you want to steal that part of it as well as the aesthetic of it? Oh, but I'm not interviewing Gucci. I want to talk to you. Exactly. Your passion is infectious. <laughs> so you're going to be just fine, darling. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I trust. I mean, maybe people will call me a fool and deluded, but I'm trusting. I'm putting my trust in just doing things authentically. Yes. You know, the other day I actually came across the um, the Wikipedia definition of existentialism, which is clearly sort of um, existentialism for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I read it and thought, oh, my Lord, I'm an existentialist. 
Yes. Um, in thinking, because it's all about authenticity and it's all about living within your passion. Yes. Living in your moment, um, respecting death. Yes. That's a big one for me. A massive, massive moment for me was when my dad died. Um, he died three years ago now. In fact, you know what never didn't come across on the video, on the Star Like You video? The very day I was interviewed, they asked, because I was talking about my dad, it didn't make the cut. They asked me, so when did your dad die? And I said, well, he died around two years ago now. And I went, what's the date today? And then she said, it's the 16th of December, which is when the interview was conducted. And I absolutely crumbled because that was the day, the anniversary of the day he died. Wow. I know. And it was like my dad was with me right there. Extraordinary. I, I had an absolute moment. And that's why at the end of the video, you'll hear me say off camera, that was a day of, that was some weird synchronicity going on there, wasn't it? A bit of a magic moment. I did hear yeah. that. So yeah, what was that, your dad that was for what you? what I was referring to. What, what was like, what energy did he embody for you that you think was so significant with that date of now doing that? video what what was his um, symbol well, I believe you? he's with me all the time I, I I absolutely believed he visited me after he died in the form of a butterfly um definitely it was a red admiral butterfly which you don't get in London you only get them well you got a lot of them in the Midlands where I'm from originally and where my dad was from and so that's my childhood with my dad I was surrounded by these butterflies and um about six months after he died I was walking along a local my local street with my granddaughter and talking about my dad and talking about how he would tease me and put sort of insects in my hand and stuff like that because my granddaughter just brought up his funeral because she was talking about it and she couldn't quite she couldn't quite understand that he was dead and I was trying to sort of speak to her about the finality of death and that he wasn't going to come back and that he wasn't going to get better and he, he wasn't in hospital um she was very confused about it all mm -hmm. and then as we were talking about this and I was trying to sort of sort of break the ice a little bit by telling her these little sweet anecdotes she said grandma stop and I was about to put my foot on a red admiral butterfly right in the middle of a busy street wow and I and I didn't think much about it at that time and I said oh yeah that's like the sort of butterfly that was around me and that's the sort of thing that my dad would put in my hand and then we walked off and then she went home and later on I went to the toilet now my dad was very silly very English with his humour. It was very much bottom jokes. It was always <laughs> farts and burps and, you know, very silly, vulgar stuff. And I loved him for it. Very Monty Python. And um, I walked into the toilet. The light was off. And in the corner of the room, there was this dark shadow. I put my hand out. I don't know why I put my hand out, but I put my hand out. And this dark thing climbed onto my hand and opened its wings. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. It was a Red Admiral Butterfly in the middle of in on my toilet in the corner of the room and I just looked at it and it sat there like quivering on my hand and I just said dad it's okay you can go now it's okay I'm fine and I just took him outside and let him go in the tree so that's why in most virtually all of my clothes that I make somewhere there'll be a butterfly on it somewhere because it's it's for me it's all about my dad um it's about my dad's energy um and his love, of course, because, you know, didn't get much love from my mum, wasn't her fault. But my dad wasn't around much, but I always knew he loved me. And when he died as well, he left me a little bit of money. Didn't have a lot, but he left me a little bit, which gave me the chance to give up my children's entertainment when I needed to and to just follow my dream. So it's all ded dedicated to my dad. And it was when I, when I sat with him, when I sat with his body after he died, for me, it was a really profound moment. And it was the moment where I actually came face to face with my spirituality. It was the absence of presence that got me. Mm -hmm. His body was there. I knew it was meant to be him, but it wasn't him. Right. And I kept trying to find him. I kept tracing my fingers over his features, knowing that was the shape of his nose. That was the shape of his ear. But it wasn't him. And that, that feeling was so strong. It wasn't him. Yeah. And I kept thinking to myself, so if it isn't him, where's he gone? And then, you know, that's and that's what I got left with. This, this, he was his energy. Yeah. And that's why it didn't look like. Well, I know, I know all the sort of, you know, people say, oh, well, that's to do with anatomy, and when you die, you know, you shrink and you lose all that. <laughs> yes, I know that. But it was more than that. It was more that he was absent. Right. He really was absent. 
and I knew that that was his energy that was gone and and I now know that he's it's almost a case of after he was dead he was more free to be around me because we were kind of separated by quite a bit of distance so I couldn't see him as much as I could see him so now I feel like he's around me all the time I go through the same thing with my parents isn't it great and that's what I'm telling I'm I'm going through uh I, I, as a serious illness of, of an adopted mom and yeah. that I've known most of my life. And yeah. that's one of the most important things that I keep sharing with them and that I keep remembering is it's it, the body's almost an entrapment. And once you're free of it that, is. you're free to be everywhere all the time. And you can, yeah, yeah it's, it, you, yeah, I feel that too. And you know, when I went to go and scatter his ashes, oh, sorry, so many sirens <laughs> around here. This is London for you. Um, <laughs> When I went to go and scatter his ashes, I went up to the Midlands where my family was and um, I'd done a little painting of him because I wanted to tie it onto a tree somewhere to honour him. I didn't want a gravestone or anything. Um, and he was a fisherman, so my my auntie said well, he used to go, he used to like fishing along this particular stretch of the river. So we went to, walked along the riverbank until I felt it was right. And I looked across and there was a willow tree and I tied the... the um, painting onto the willow tree and scattered his ashes just underneath and the sun came out at that moment it was really beautiful and then there was a little a dragonfly came and hovered over as well but what was wonderful about that that little passage of time is that as we were going by the car to get to the the river there seemed to be like a whole procession of animals first there was a um, I think it was a rook it was a really dark black bird kept following the car then there was a squirrel run across the road. Then there was a rabbit. And then we got to the river. There was a swan came swimming along as we were walking along the bank. It was a whole procession of nature <laughs> to go and put my dad to rest or to at least scatter his ashes. And it was just really, really beautiful. Yeah. And then to top it all, as we were leaving, I saw a little sign and um, at the side of the river. And what I didn't know, this was actually a very sacred place that it, used to be called was something to do with um a, a ferryman who used to take people ferry people across the river and it was sort of very symbolic of going to the other side and you know sort of going to across the river sticks to to death and i thought wow <laughs> who knew and then i actually started to look around and i started to see all the little piles of ashes everywhere seems like everybody had the same idea how interesting everybody had started to scatter their relatives there and I did I had no idea this was just where you <laughs> like to go fishing wow yeah that's interesting I have so enjoyed talking with you today I the it's time is fun. just flying by and I'm having such a good time thank you for connecting with us I will put Pleasure. links to your crowdfunding on here as well as your blog so that people oh, can find you. you very easily and I like to wrap my shows by asking my guests if they have a parting thought that they want to leave with listeners for today so is there something that you'd like to share yeah, it's the same parting shot that I had in the video. It's like, stop being afraid of growing old. It's a privilege. You're still here. That's yes, it. it is. Yes, it is. And I'm so glad you're still here and that we got to connect. Thank you so much. Lovely to speak to you, Cheryl. Do you have a moving story about your own journey and natural healing path you'd like to share? Drop us a note. Info at journeyofpossibilities.com. Until next time, this is Cheryl Sitz reminding you to use your passions and make a bigger difference. Let's co-create holistic sustainability for ourselves and for our planet. Namaste.